Hi, this is Pramit Chowdhury, co-host of the Calcutta Art House podcast. Before this week's episode, I just wanted to say a few words to acknowledge the COVID disaster that's currently occurring in India. It's a, a strange feeling to you know, be recording what is essentially a light-hearted podcast, you know, referring to things that are going on in India today, like elections, um, and and not to 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 acknowledge the scale of the the humanitarian disaster that's taking place. So, you know, people have been kind enough to to write and to ask how how my relatives are doing and uh, people that I know and. Uh, I'm in touch mostly indirectly through 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 my parents, but um, a, a little bit directly as well. And unfortunately, most uh, people have been have been okay. But uh, I would ask you, um, you know, those of you who are based outside of of India, to to consider donating money to help with um, you know, certainly the supply of oxygen, which is probably the issue that's received the greatest attention. Um, but there are problems more more widely than that too. Uh, we'll put in a couple of links to organizations to donate to in the in the show notes. Um, one that I'd like to uh, pick up by name uh, is run by uh, a cousin of mine. So the organization is called Tribal Connect and actually works with r- rural tribal uh, communities um, who have been, uh, you know, impacted by a, a number of you know problems um, o- over many years, but in, in particular. Uh, COVID recently, even though um, obviously the transmission there is, is, is somewhat different from densely populated urban areas, um, there have been significant effects there too. Um, and there is a need for things even as simple as as, as masks. Um, but we'll put in a couple of links in the sh- in the show notes. And uh, yeah, uh, any any help that you can offer would be much appreciated. Uh, and let's all hope that um, you know we see the turnaround come soon. Thanks very much. Hello and welcome to Calcutta Art House, an uninformed and irreverent podcast about the parallel cinema of Bengal. I'm Pramit Chowdhury. And I'm Ayala Khanjandushkov, and I am recovering from a cold given to me by my toddler. So if I... Well, then you'll sound like the you of the other podcast. Yes, well, I like to think of it more as my Daisy Miller performance. That doesn't end well No. for Miss Miller. No. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. But I don't have TB or COVID. I just have post nasal drip. TB has featured disproportionately in this uh, in this podcast. Well, as well, it should considering that like half the world basically has like. Yeah, I know. As we so. as we mentioned. Anyway, so today is a, a special double feature episode. I thought you said doubly uninformed. Doubly uninformed. <laughs> um, because we're doing two movies. We were supposed to do... So, um, because of compression for various reasons, including the Texas storm, on which we, of course, have a, uh, an episode. And a kind of strange semi-quarantine situation. The quarantine that never was. That well, partially was. That partially was. Yeah. So, um, someone in our daughter's class was a presumptive positive uh, for uh, uh, COVID. But it turned out that they, they were never tested. Uh, hence the presumptuousness. Yeah. But then <laughs> um, they ended up being negative. And ended so... up being negative. And so after an initial quarantine, owing to the presumptive positive and uh, our daughter being at home with us, uh, we then uh, were footloose and fancy free. Yeah. It was amazing. Like, I 
was I had an appointment and when I came out my phone was filled with messages from all the other moms in caps lock being like prepare for amazing news <laughs> but anyway so, so yes so that led to some compression and so instead of having a nice regular one movie a week saunter through the uh, the the end game of uh, the parallel cinema of Bengal instead it has become a mad chaotic rush to the end anyway so so it's not slight week so yes so uh, it's uh, it's extra extreme left week yeah so um, I wanted the students to see beyond like the most famous classics the the kind of neorealist classics of uh, uh, of Bengali cinema I wanted them to see the kind of the later phase that's a, a bit more French, basically, right? A lot more French. A lot more French. Um, so this is this is the the period of cinema from like the the seventies where things look a bit more like you know Jean Luc Godard. And so we have two uh, two examples for your delectation. Rise experimentation in in this area uh, in the film Protudundi uh, or the adversary and uh, Mrinal Shen's even more. Avant-garde, Renal Chen's film uh, *Politique*, which is or, or *The Guerrilla Fighter*. Um, the first of which, so *Politique*, is uh, it takes place. Well, I, I before you describe them, I just want to say that this is a very strange viewing experience because the first movie was digitized from like cassette tape or something. Like the 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 subtitles were both like highly legible because they were white and for some reason they were like always against a white background so you, they weren't like I couldn't read them and they skipped over like 30% of what people were actually saying which has happened before but not at such a scale so I was quite confused and then the second movie the subtitles were better but it was too French I like I could not well, so they absorbed they, it so they, in, yeah in the, so Thanks to, to to UT for even making the film available, but they were they were in a bind. Hook'em. Hook'em. They were in a bind because I think they really did digitize it from like a VHS. <laughs> so so yeah, so the quality was not great visually, and then yes, white subtitles on a white background. They missed like important chunks of text. So there's this great moment where the protagonist's sister mocks him. And basically says, you know, so, so, so at one point, we'll get into the plot in a second, but at one point, the protagonist, um, who's played by Dritman Chatterjee, his name's Siddhartha. So Siddhartha is... Which we don't find out until right at the end. What do we find out? His name. Oh, uh, I don't remember. Yeah, maybe. Um, but he, uh, he's worried about his sister being preyed upon by her boss. Um, Where and this have forms, we seen this that? This forms a, ma a major part of the, a, ma a major subplot of the film. And so at some point he's basically threatening to like call a hit out on, uh, on the boss or to punch him. And she, you know, the sister who is a very confident woman, and this is a very important, actually, motif of this film um the the sister's just like yeah i mean listening to you talk makes me laugh and they just don't translate that bit which is really important for lots of reads partly because it's funny but also because it's it, it you know it substantiates this kind of this insecurity that the i mean you, you know you, you, our regular listeners see a theme now but the insecurity that the men in this film feel, but the men in this film and in the next film are particularly insecure revolutionaries are always the most insecure the more revolutionary the more insecure that is interesting thesis. Uh, can you disprove it? 
Uh, can I disprove anything? I don't know. I mean, so, usually you're pretty, question. you're pretty critical, so. Um, I, I don't know a lot of revolutionaries, so. Well, not in person. <laughs> well, but that's what I'm saying. Like, usually the way I judge the insecurity people is just, you know, listen to them talk, but not hanging out with a lot of revolutionaries, I don't Yeah. Know. But, um, the, the revolutionaries, so the, the people who are the most insecure in, in these films are not the actual revolutionaries. It's the ones who are kind of para revolutionary. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. They're kind of involved or on the, you know, or on the side or looking in. Um, so, okay, so quality of the film, the the the, the, the actual. Movie. Well, in the second movie, subtitles were clearly done by either a robot or someone who doesn't have English idiom. Because I no, I think these are old subtitles. I don't think these were like AI subtitles. But I, I think yeah, I think the problem was that whoever it was who did them, yeah, was not. I mean, you really want subtitles to be done by someone who is like absolutely in command of both languages. Well, the weird thing was that it it almost felt like someone was typing it live and and were kind of rushing to keep up. It did. It did have. That and no one name. went back to like proofread it. Also, there was some <laughs> there was some classic things that you you, you just. You don't associate with uh, with subtitles, so you know. Obviously, good subtitles will change the subtitles with the speaker. Whereas here, at some point, they were like, "Yeah, but like the second speaker follows on pretty closely from the first, so we'll just put in a large block of text, and as you read it, you will just like infer." The yeah. speaker change. They happens. also used more, more punctuation than normal. There were a lot of like ellipses and dashes and things. Yeah, it was typographically um, pretty dramatic. Yeah. Yeah, but you said at some point, right, they were talking about someone harassing the. Yeah. Lady like, and and the, the subtitles just read. It should have been something like, yeah, like he's, he's bothering you or harassing you or something like that, but I think it just said he is troubling. <laughs> I was just like, well, sure, you can make sense of that, but that's not what subtitles should do. Which is all just to underscore the the point that that you know, if you don't speak the language, you are at the mercy of. Well, my students pointed this out. They that some of them were a little, you know, aggrieved because, uh, it, yeah, it seemed a little unfair that they had to deal with the, just the, the practical challenges uh, in, in watching these films. But also, it's, again, a matter of underfunding, right? So uh, the the films that have been remastered, that have, you know, the, the, the top, the premium criterion treatment, right, they have, you know, great subtitles, visually, you know, uh, the audio is great, whereas these have yet to benefit from that. Um, or either they have yet to benefit from it or UT has I think in both cases they have not received that treatment but I don't think it's just a matter of UT not having access to the, to the uh, criteria to, to the, well I mean for, for this for these particular films um, so for instance next week when we're looking at one of Ritik Kodak's famous films a river called Titash that has so it's one of the movies that Martin Scorsese selected to uh, sample you know the great but less well-known hits of world cinema. Um, and that looks great. But these two films, at least in these two editions, don't. That said, they're both great films. Um, well, I mean, who knows? <laughs> well, I mean, it's pr- if, if, if you can understand what they're saying independently of the subtitles, then, like... So was any of the students inspired to learn Bengali as a result you know, of this? I don't think so. That's um, disappointing. Yeah, I don't know. So this might be a general problem, though, right? That, like, inspiring students to learn languages is more challenging than it once was because 
they just want to learn um, computer languages, right? As opposed to, you know, natural languages that people speak. So I wonder whether that is partly an issue, whether there's kind of a, a higher bar to encourage people to, to learn languages. Because everyone is very daunted by the prospect of, like, despite Duolingo and everything else, people are a little bit daunted. Duolingo doesn't have Bengali, I, I looked. I was going to finally crack the code. Even though I feel that you should, as a general rule, strive not to speak the same language as your in-laws. I feel that that's a great contribution <laughs> to, to peace in the family. Yeah. But it is also useful to be able to eavesdrop on them. That's true. Um, for reasons of survival, so that you know... How many dishes are being prepared for dinner. Exactly. So I was going to do Duolingo Bengali, but apparently Duolingo feels that Klingon is going to be more popular than the sixth most spoken language in the world. And yeah. so uh, it's still in beta. I, this is the fate of all of those languages, I think, that are, you know... Brown. No, because like Hindi, it's, right, it's when you're subordinated to another major language in the region, right? Like... You have these kind of dominant... I mean, even the, even though there are like hundreds of millions of speakers, right, it's still the case that Hindi is more dominant. I mean, I'm sure Tamil speakers feel the same. And well, but speakers isn't Bengali and, the national language of Bangladesh? Yeah, so I think if, uh, you know... Well, but it, that's just one country, right? Yeah, but Duolingo, it's not like a small du country. No, it is not at all. But I'm saying that I don't know that Duolingo... It's bigger than Klingon. Yeah. That also has to do with the uh, assiduousness with which people are committed to helping Duolingo, well, presumably make money, <laughs> since all of, these, all of these companies work the same way. But um, yeah, I, I, I assume the community of Klingon speakers was just really aggressively in favour of creating the Duolingo Klingon yeah. you know, programme. Well, I mean, UT has, as I think we've mentioned in, in previous episodes, it has like a it teaches Bengalis. Well, one yes, it is not one of those languages that you have to request and no. make special arrangements for. There is someone who who teaches it at the elementary. From an actual person. Yeah, from a, re a real life person. I actually, I kind of want to kind of uh, meet this person and talk. To Aren't them. you not allowed because you're a legacy speaker? I, I'm not allowed to take the class, but I, I thought I could talk to him about ways of getting students who might be interested in the culture. Because I think actually for the for the students Are you fomenting some kind of Bengali insurrection? Uh a -like movement. <laughs> or is it an obnoxious <laughs> You fitted in all the gags we have for this episode. Yeah, we, have, we still have biscuit reports. <laughs> we're good, we're good. So um I think the students are interested in the culture. I think it has been eye-opening for them. And I think they were struck by what a major, you know, cultural area and, and, and source of all of these, you know, films, but also poems, right, novels, um, that, they, that they just wouldn't have been aware of. So I think that's been good. But it's always hard to know how much it's going to be pursued beyond that. I've been trying to draw connections with, uh, with uh, you know, with other things. I mean, including things that are closer to the to the students personally. So um, we spent a little bit of time looking at MN Rai, who's one of the uh, Marxist revolutionaries pre pre independence and through independence, who has an interesting career. I tried to talk about his time in Mexico. Because some of the students are from, from Mexico, or their, their parents are from Mexico. Um, I thought there was going to be a Che Guevara connection. Uh, because of the book and the, and the movie. So in Protidondi, uh, Siddhartha gives his younger brother... Well, we see the younger brother is a revolutionary, 
unlike Siddhartha, who's mostly just an observer <laughs> and a complainer. Um, the, the younger brother... So, so the background, we should give the plot. So Siddhartha's father died, and he was in the medical, he was in, in the medical college at the time. He'd been there for two years, and he uh, quits when his father dies to get a job but then fails to get a job for two years because there's incredible demand for employment and not enough supply. And, more importantly, the craziest job interview. Oh, yeah, the movie is, yeah, the movie's great on job interviews. So there are two that are, that are the, uh, scenes that are particularly notable. So anyway, so he uh, has been searching for a job for two years and has been unsuccessful. Um, and so on the one hand, he has this kind of frustrated desire to be a revolutionary. On the other hand, he's just trying to get a job. Um, his younger brother is a revolutionary. He gets into fights and scrapes, and at one point, right, he's kind of bandaging his knee. And he, just like the sister criticizes the brother, so too the, the, the younger brother criticizes the older brother for basically being someone who talks but doesn't do anything. And so he, he says, look, remember when you gave me this book? And we see, uh, is it the autobiography of Che Guevara? I think that might be the autobiography. And he, you know, he's basically saying, look how far you've fallen. Like back then you were an idealist and now look at you, you know, you're just you know, trudging around trying to get a job and both failing to get a job and uh, failing to be a revolutionary. Isn't that like a scene from 100 Years of Solitude? Uh, I don't I, I don't know. It sounds like vaguely familiar. Isn't that like how Arleano Buendia ends up like leading the rebellion or whatever it was? Because he's given that book. There is like a Che Guevara thing. Yeah, I just don't remember. It's been a, it a while get, since well, I've read it. But. Okay. We, I, will, I will look this up. Okay. All right. and, and we will should, report back next yes. time. Yeah. Or, or perhaps we'll do a, a noxulite pickup. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, the, the, this film has, the, um, you know, revolution in the background. The revolution in question is this um, left-wing movement that begins in this place called Noxulvari and is it involved a lot of the kind of the youthful members of the intelligentsia who and it was it was quite a violent movement but then it was also put down with great violence and so that's you know where the the kind of the controversy arises that you know there there was a lot of anxiety about you know the violence used by the leaders but then you know uh, there were disappearances and you know, extrajudicial killings and, you know, all of that kind of thing as well. And this was in... in, in Well, in West Bengal, but also there... I mean, as the, as the second film, uh, politics also alludes to, this also took place elsewhere, like in uh, Punjab as well. But anyway, so this is in the background in Protidundi because of the younger brother and because the protagonist, Siddhartha, is, you know, constantly thinking of revolution but without really any intent to practice he's just very very frustrated with his current circumstances because he's unemployed can't a job. Um, but then there are all of these other anxieties so there's this great scene where he and his friend are walking along and they're talking about you know how confident women are and there's this kind of kind of ju juvenile and also kind of patriarchal innuendo that it's you know his sister's looks that get her her job, right? So um, she uh, comes home late from work, and um, this is one of the sources of the the subplots in the, in the film. Uh, she comes home late from work, and there's the suggestion that she has, um, you know, done something inappropriate mm. with her after hours time. But then, like, like gone down the boss's wife is 
you know, at their house, and when Satharis is coming up the stairs, he overhears this conversation where the boss's wife is basically saying, you know, I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands. How could you have raised your daughter to be like this? Um, and the boss's, the boss's wife is basically confronting um, the mother and telling her that, you know, the daughter is having an affair with her husband. Um, That's very complicated. For which, well, I mean, I think it's, it's left kind of implicit that she is not having an affair with this man, though it is not clear that he does not want to. He seems pretty sleazy, her boss. Right. Um, and so I think, you know, in the in the scene itself, and in the subsequent scene between Siddhartha and his, and his sister, you know, they, they seem to think that, oh, well, you know, the wife is just crazy. Um, but actually, there does seem to be some warrant for her being suspicious, though as it happens in this particular case, it, it doesn't appear to be the sister is having an affair with the, the boss. Now, Siddhartha later tries to confront the boss because he thinks he's taking advantage of his sister. And the, one of the, you know, the novel techniques in this film is there are a lot of kind of um, imaginings of an alternate reality. So Siddhartha imagines shooting the boss. Um, and that's very typical of Siddhartha, right? Like he, he imagines doing something, but he doesn't actually do it. Uh, and in fact, one of his friends says, one of his friends who's also pretty pretty sleazy, says, oh, you know, there are two kinds of people in this world, like thinkers and doers, and I'm a doer, but you're just a thinker. This is the friend who invites the hooker around. Yeah, so the friend um, doesn't, I think, explain to Siddhartha that uh, they're going to, uh, what, he, what he presents as his friend's house, but she is also a prostitute. Um, and he thinks that, you know, Siddhartha should satisfy his his urges and that that would, you know, that, that would finally embrace his desire in a kind of a more honest way. But the Siddhartha is just kind of in some kind of denial and, and he's kind of inadequate. And then Siddhartha is just kind of disgusted by this. This movie is a little more about sex than I appreciate it. Well, that's one of its kind of more avant-garde qualities, right? Um, compared, Which to... is ironic because it's the other movie, right? Where we, we have like a, a shower scene and we actually see a, a bare shoulder. Uh, yes, yeah. Um, one of my students was actually talking about censorship uh, in her presentation, and was talking about a number of different reasons for censorship in Indian film. But obviously, there is a kind of a lower bar for what gets censored. So you know, you hit that bar, and you're getting censored. So it's it's not it's not as open to directors to uh, you know film whatever they want in the way that is true for for, for Western cinema. That said, I don't know that you need it. <laughs> I, it was not. I think as these films show, like implication and, 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 and suggestion is perfectly sufficient for yes. conveying what needs to be conveyed. So yeah, so Siddhartha is basically just a kind of a frustrated man on a number of different levels. And his frustration manifests in, you know, it's partly frustration to do with employment. It's partly frustration to do with sex. It's partly frustration to do with, you know, feelings of inadequacy on multiple fronts. And he's, so it He's leads... a shy Trump. <laughs> well, but it leads to these kind of, you know, imaginings of, like, being a doer. Now, as it happens, like, the guy who presents himself as a doer is is also kind of unlikable, right? So, um, so he, is that a... the first time we meet him, remember, he's stealing from a Red Cross donation can. <laughs> like, we're not supposed to like that guy. Well, but so is the idea here that, and, and again, remember that I'm, I'm operating on understanding about 60 to 70% of what right. we're actually talking about. Is the idea that, like, he has, it's like a fork in the road, right? And he can either 
be uh, a creep who visits hookers or he can join the revolution. Well, I think that's the problem that he he sees these possibilities as like notionally attractive, but he's I mean it's kind of good that he can't actualize them because they're not they're not actually good model they're not presented as good models, right? So, um as I said his his friend who says, you know, I'm a doer is actually really annoying and kind of problematic, right? So he's problematic in various ways, right? Not least that he He's, he's 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 racist towards so so in a in a in a um um they go to a Chinese restaurant. Oh um, yeah, the Chinese restaurant. Yeah, and his friend is just like winding the waiter up about like eating monkey brain something. And the waiter responds very cleverly and is just like, yeah, you can get that from our Hong Kong restaurant. <laughs> and so you can see that Rai is like you know g- giving. Is presenting right, the waiter in a better light and this friend in a worse light. I would also note that, you know, the food quotient is, is rising. There's more food. There's more food. In both and parts. we should also, just to kind of lighten the mood from the, you know, nihilist crisis of, uh, of, of Junior Che over here, that Chinese food in Calcutta is a thing. I know. Well, that's why they go to the restaurant. Yeah, well, I, I know. But, but, you know, since most of our listeners are in uh, Mumbai. Well, so, yeah, there was a, a, a diaspora community that had like, set up home in Calcutta and was involved in a number of different areas. Um, so, uh, so certainly leather and tanning was one, one of the major areas, but a number of other areas as well. And uh, there were restaurants and um, the restaurants that kind of showcase this cuisine, um, right? It, 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 it's a cuisine that blends Indian elements with Chinese elements. And so you still, you get that, I mean, you get traces of that in, right, Indian restaurants in in America and in the UK, right? What, but you like just get this like... Gobi Manchurian. Yeah, like one or two of these yeah. dishes. Like Gobi Manchurian is is one of like God's chosen ways to eat cauliflower. It is it's a great just, way to eat It's cauliflower. just very good. And hakka noodles. Right. And so there's a more extensive, you know, like original, you know, cuisine, of which we're just getting a sample. Randomly, there was a restaurant near my parents' place, which closed a long time ago, but there was a restaurant near my parents' place in London which specialised in this cuisine, which is really quite At random. At the bottom of the road, where like there's a new Indian restaurant every like three months. Uh, no, I think this one was actually in Wimbledon Park. Oh yeah, um, but yeah. And anyway, it closed a long time ago. Uh, so, so yeah. But Chinese food in India is is not like I mean, Chinese food in the U.S. is is its own sort of type of Chinese food, right? Well, in the same way that Indian food in the you know UK and the U.S. I is saw like, I saw this article a while back about like it's um, not that there's no relation, but there is obviously. Well, so I saw this article a while back about international students who were stranded abroad because of the pandemic. And they were talking to this Chinese students and she was back home in China and she was saying, you know, all the usual difficulties like the the time zone difference and working without libraries and, you know, the usual access. But then she said, I actually didn't realize, but I, I kind of missed the... The, Chinese, the, the food, the Chinese food in America, because we don't get these things here. Right. Here at home. Yeah, it'd be like it's someone like, saying, ah, oh, chicken tikka masala, my, my fair, I really miss that, you know. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, food has featured m- much more in this. So that, you know, it feels like it, it fills a void in, in some of the previous movies. Yes. Just... Well, and I mean, you know, it makes sense because as, as we follow dry on this, this journey, right, the, the characters have been increasingly more affluent yeah and more urban um, i mean not that you couldn't have like a focus on food and a you know in a village environment as well but that that is not what he chose to focus on yeah yeah so the two signal scenes that we should talk about are basically 
Siddhartha in an interview, and in the first one, which um, you know is famous, he's answering kind of quite challenging, open-ended interview questions. I mean, look, you and I between us have. I mean, admittedly, only academic job interviews, but you and I between us have have attended our fair share. Yeah, and I have never been asked questions like that. And academic interviews can be pretty nasty. Yeah. When they when they choose to be, yeah. But one of them asked like, "What mitochondria are?" Because he has a degree in botany, and I was just like, "I mean, that's fair enough." But at the same time, this is not a job that ostensibly requires any kind of botanical yeah. knowledge. It was literally just we're testing what we know. It. Yeah, and then um, right, there were questions uh, that you know of a more general sort, and then there's the the the, the killer question, which is, "What's the most important event of the last decade?" And he says, after some pondering, the uh, resistance of the Vietnamese people to to, to US uh, aggression. And they clearly are immediately unhappy because this suggests that, you know, he's a communist. Um, and then they say, well, you're not the moon landing, because um, this film is from, is from, is from 1970. And um, he actually gives quite a good justification for why this, uh, the moon landing is not, you know, the most important. And he says, well, we, were, we all knew it was coming, right? A number of achievements had already taken place, right? Like Yuri Gagarin. And so we, we knew it was, you know, around the corner, whereas we didn't expect that a, a people would be able through sheer courage and resilience and ingenuity to resist what was, you know, a much, much more powerful opponent. And I was just like, wow, that's a really great answer. Uh, but of course, despite the fact that it's a really great answer, he's immediately basically, so you, that one of one of the uh, one of the interviewers presses, you know, the button underneath it. I'm like, in what interview is there a button under a desk? I really, I want it to be true that there is such a thing. But anyway, so he presses the button underneath the desk and then, you know, he's ushered out. So that is ushered out. Well, and- he gets that great line when they ask him if he likes flowers and he says... Not unconditionally. Not unconditionally. What a great line. <laughs> wait, wait. So let me put you on the spot. What do you think is the, the most important event of the, the 20th century? Oh, the twenty the 20th century. He's only given a decade, right? It was the 1960s. Oh, it's only given a decade. I, I mean, right. I feel it should be something closer to our own time, right? Well, because so like... I was thinking, like, in the 20th century, actually, probably the most important thing that has happened is the polio vaccine. Oh, yeah. Which people always forget about, but... You know, um, I so I don't know. I mean, I, I, if we're talking about our own previous decade, the two thousand tens to twenty. Previous decade? You mean the last like four weeks? <laughs> oh, well, no. Um, so I don't, I don't know. What, is what has been? What was really unexpected? Well, the, the financial time. crush. That's an Which financial crisis? Also, um, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's hard to get past. You know, obviously, of the of this current decade, right? It's hard to get past the pandemic, but yeah, because um, it is genuinely surprising. Even though you know, epidemiologists and right historians of such things were like, well, you know, one was coming, <laughs> but still, yeah, climate change hard to get past that. Yeah, it was kind of there isn't a single event though, right? Um, no, I'm saying climate change is a driver of pandemic because as people inhabit oh yeah, and move to different move to yeah, different um, yeah. zones, they come into closer contact with right and that's something that they wouldn't necessarily you know have known just from like the spanish flu or something like that yeah um but i don't prior to that i don't know maybe the is there an important discovery that we're ignoring oh yeah um, crispr that um gene editing i mean that yeah i don't know whether i'm I'm sure if you ask the specialist they'd be like 
we were just <laughs> waiting for it. But <laughs> I think for most of the rest of us, right, that was uh, it's pretty remarkable. Is that how just... they did the RNA vaccine? The oh, I don't know. Um, and then, I don't know, maybe someone else will be like, Bitcoin. <laughs> Bitcoin. <laughs> <Yeah>. 3D printing. <laughs> well, it's just, yeah, the weird thing is, like, I, I feel like this decade more than normal. Like, I, I feel like I remember the big things of my benighted youth very clearly. And, and like, the last, whatever, three months. Assuming, of course, that you take the whole of 2020 as one month because nothing happened. But, like, I can't remember a single thing that happened in 2013. Well, I mean, I, it's, it's that I can't put dates to events, right? Like, they just exist in this... It was like, what, the Obama's second administration? Second second term? Yeah. Not a lot of happened. Not a whole lot happened there since there was total gridlock. But, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 was but, it yeah. the, the Ted Cruz filibuster? I, 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 I wouldn't have thought that that would hold significant global importance, no. though. I don't think anything that Ted Cruz... I mean, other than unifying the world and, you know disliking him and laughing at him, I don't know that he has any global function. I mean, that's a function. That is a function. In any event, I think... We are going to do yeah. Biscuit Report. When we come back. When we come back. And then Tomorrow maybe we we'll talk... I don't think we, we... We need to talk a little bit about the second film, of course, but um, we probably have more to say about Um We have to talk about the cuts. Yes. And, and, and the, the, the decor. The decor. And, and the hipsters. They're always hipsters. But nowhere more than in these two films. The hipster mm. quotient has gone up significantly. And it was already quite high. It was already pretty high. Right, pretty yeah. high. Okay, so we will be back with Biscuit Report. And hopefully some more pertinent information about the actual film. They're probably not, though. Probably. That's, that's not what we're here for. No. That's not our USB. No. <laughs> See you soon. Okay, and uh, we are back. This break. You sound surprised. I am surprised because it's one been... time maybe we shouldn't come back. We should just, you know, fade out. Where would we go? Away. Bahamas. Bahamas. Ooh. There's a direct flight now. Yeah. You told me. Yeah. There's also a direct flight to Chicago, but <laughs> that sounds less appealing to me. Yeah. I mean, no offense to our listeners in Chicago. So you might think that this break was all of uh, thirty seconds, but in fact, it was. Us um, years. It's like yeah, and at some point, I kind of despaired of ever recording. Um, this it's the end of the semester. It is the end of the semester. It's a rough time. Yeah, it's like there. tax day for a tax preparer. It's just, except it yeah. comes around twice. Three times for some people. Three, three times for some people, that's true. Um, but we are... Oh, apparently, like, six times for us in the future. They're going to change our semesters. What? It's not, it's not really, yeah. Well, our university is desperately not in compliance with numerous requirements. And so, and apparently hasn't been in compliance for some time. So we had two choices which is to continue to not be in compliance or to to comply. So we will be doing that. Well, it is not guaranteed, but it seems very likely to me that we will be doing that. <laughs> Wait, how will we comply? Uh, our semesters need to be changed. Two. So it's very complicated. There are going to be like sub-semesters. And in, in practice, it makes zero difference. Or Well, I mean, it makes some difference because the dates will be different. But that's about it. Exams will be shorter... The exam period will be shorter. This is no doubt fascinating for our listeners. I mean, as we Colin can edit the inner it out. Workings of, uh, Colin, you can edit it. it out if um, if you find this boring. So, listeners, if you're still hearing this scintillating discussion, it's because Colin found it fascinating. And um, you can write him angry emails at colin slash internet.com. Um, yeah. Um, and his cat will read them. Yes. <laughs>
That'd be Leo. That'd be Leo. Shout out to Leo. Shout out to, to Leo. Um, anyway, Biscuit Report. Biscuit Report. So, uh, after much chicken front, we have settled on shortbread. Well, we so in the last episode, we promised um, our, our biscuit dangling was the cardamom shortbread biscuits. But. But. It has been so long since we've had those cardamom biscuits. So, we decided to expand it to a shortbread roundup. And we will also be returning to the Indian store soon. Shout out to Deshi Brothers uh, for some more biscuits, yes. including cardamom biscuits. But the shortbread... And mushroom pops. And mushroom The shortbread that we will be reviewing today... So we are... have three shortbread type business cookies. One is the cardamom uh, biscuits. Um, who knows who the, uh, the maker is? <laughs> They're the ones on sale at Deshi Brothers. Made by... <laughs> they come in a clear packet. By India. Yeah, they come in this like large old school clear plastic. Clear box. plastic. Yeah. And they have a picture of a biscuit with cardamom in it. And they're called like cardamom cookies or cardamom yeah. biscuits. Yeah. And they look, you know, like the kind unassuming. of thing. Yeah, they're unassuming. They're the kind of thing. Well, they're. So they're, they're large round flake and you can see the little black spots of cardamom. Yeah. They're the kind of thing that I feel would look decadent to like an aged aunt, but. Would they? Well, because they're big. Oh, yeah, size-wise. My mother would probably be like, oh, I can only have half. <laughs> it's, yeah. too, it's too big. And then she would, she, 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 would, she would like it. They're very she kind of like plain, but the cardamom sort of elevates them. They're very much a tea biscuit. Because last time oh, we talked yeah. about coffee biscuits versus tea biscuits. These are tea biscuits. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're delightful. They're very... The cardamom really kind of... Comes through. Yeah. Potently. Yeah. And sort of takes them to, to the next level. So that's biscuit number one. Biscuit number one. Uh, biscuits numbers two and three are—we actually do know who made them. Uh, it's some British company called Cartwright and Butler, and they were on sale at the supermarket. I, I made the mistake of sending Pramit on his own to Central Market. Was you were you on your own or were you with one of the children? No, I was on my. They're in line. Well, anyway. Um, no, if so, I was with Ella, I would have taken I mean, because, the anyway. because it is COVID times, and we're both vaccinated. So one of our treats has been a, a physical return to, to grocery stores after a year of, of curbside pickups. Um, and, you know, we're very careful on masks and social distancing. But it does mean that we are more susceptible than usual to buying random treats that we wouldn't have gotten on curbside, but faced with... Um, with them with this the little sale sign and it's a fancy biscuit i i can't help myself it's it's unfair to me it seems to be taking advantage of me you're really. a victim i'm you're i'm, I'm the victim yeah so yeah. basically it's biscuits and and weird drinks that promise is particularly vulnerable to. to yeah um i tend to bring back um packets of of crisps uh, even though promise is the the crisp fiend crisps Biscuits and nice non-alcoholic drinks. What more does a human need? Cheese. Cheese, yes. You are you are a cheese aficionado. Anyway, so Brian came back with a variety of, of sodas, most of which he then declared he didn't like. Stevia! Um, oh. But also with fancy biscuits. So I will I will let you describe your loot. So uh, there were a selection on, on, on sale, um, and I picked the standard chocolate chip biscuit but of course it's shortbread and chocolate chip shortbread isn't quite as standard it's as a bit newfangled cookie. but i wanted to try it anyway so i got the chocolate chip shortbread without really high expectations and an almond shortbread of which i had very high expectations 
And uh, dear listeners, my expectations were completely confirmed. There was no, there was no surprise. The uh, the chocolate chip shortbread was a perfectly regular piece of shortbread with some chocolate in it. The two did not combine to achieve any higher level of epiphanic experience. The almond shortbread, on the other hand, was delightful. I didn't really feel that the almond came through, but it was excellent shortbread. It was excellent shortbread. It was better than the other one. It was coated in demerara sugar, right? Yes. Its consistency was better. Its texture was better. The size was better. It was just, it was, it was a good, nice, round, small size. Um, it was. It had scalloped edging. It had scalloped was, edging. It was, yeah. was a nice touch. Yeah. So that, well, it was no contest. Yeah. Um, so the real question is, uh, were they better than my shortbread? No. Good answer. Yeah. Did you like the speed with which I responded? I did. Yeah. I did. Decisive. Yeah. I did. And you, as you know, I'm not very decisive. Well, I am that for you. But um, no, your shortbread were magnificent. I mean, my shortbread are basically... A stick of butter. A stick of butter, kind of in in, crumb, in solid form. Yeah, with with some with some. No, they're they're, they're amazing. Crumb, yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. Um, I made a like a huge amount of them last Christmas to hand out to to people, and they were no. Very fortunate were they? Well, your parents actually really liked them, right? Yeah. Your father was normally quite reserved about. As you know, my mother and father pleasures. love a good biscuit. Yeah, but your mother is very vocal about her love of biscuits. She yeah. often complains that... I come by my liking th- for There are not enough biscuits or that, yeah. you know, you brought her coffee and didn't remember to bring her a biscuit. But your father tends to... Your father's a, a plain biscuit sort of guy. He does like a plain biscuit. He likes plain biscuit, plain cake. And he doesn't normally, like, demand... More biscuits. More biscuits. Yeah, no, no. But with, with the shortbread, he yeah. was like, is there? No, it was his paradigm. Yeah, he walked in the next day and he was like, is there more shortbread? <laughs> that was my great success. That and, and the... Apples. Um, the apples. And, um, my father doesn't accept. He doesn't really like receiving gifts is the background to this. Yes. Um, and one day you pranked him, totally, totally punked him by saying, oh, I bought you a present. And then watched he was him squirm. Yeah, and then you unveiled a bushel of apple. Yes. And um, the relief and joy that passed across his face. Yeah. It was fairly early on in our acquaintances. It was, but you, you did a good thing there. Well, there was, there was Ella's birthday cake, which he... No, Ella's birthday cake. Well, there was Ella's birthday cake, and then there was the Madeira cake that I gave him. Right, he took half back to the UK. Yes. He loves the Madeira cake. I know. Yeah. So my father will often say in the morning when, you know, if I'm up early with uh, the kids because they've done something unspeakable and it's like four o'clock or something and I'll sometimes find him while they're you know, watching TV or something and uh, he uh, will say, you know, you have to eat something in the morning um, and I'm like, okay, I can barely go off the couch. Um, and his suggestion for it to have to stave off hunger and the depredations of hunger is to have a biscuit in the morning first thing. And I was thinking if I just started every day with one of those pieces of shortbread, then my life would just be better. I Although think... almost certainly shorter. <laughs> that is, I mean, it's in the name, right? Shortbread. Shortbread, yeah. 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 Um, life demands that. I can make you, I can make you shortbread. I mean, it basically involves taking bread and rolling it out thin and then kind of crumbing it with some flour and sugar. If you, do you have any pictures of that shortbread? I do. Maybe you should put one up on the podcast note. I, I, I should. I should. So shortbread, I think that, that, that brings Biscuit Report to a conclusion. Right? I mean, this was like a, a 10 minute Biscuit Report and cake report. Isn't that what they're here for? We're I actually mean, very well informed about biscuits in contrast to 
the Noxalite movement, about which we know nothing. Well, so we talked a little. Do we talk a little bit about it, or do we do we leave that for next? We time? talked a little bit about it. Yeah, um, as you can tell, it's, this really was like a couple of, of days ago that we recorded. Like, you see, serious podcasters would have listened to to the recording of the first half and have been prepared and informed. But we are bringing you real life in the trench. What know. what is the trench? In the metaphor, like what? what ignorance. What? In the, the trench of ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> so we just live in the trench. I mean, I like this. It's not the cave of ignorance. You... It's yeah. Do we suffer from trench foot? Have things got that bad? I mean, not yet. Not yet. Okay. But term's not over yet. All right. Yeah, we have a couple more. A couple um, more days. So uh, there are so many things that we wanted to say about the film. So I, I don't know whether we'll we'll we'll, we'll cover everything. So. But the we did, wait, we, we did talk about the Noxalites. Yeah. And we... I, I, I said, right, that this movement arose, this 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 far-left kind of Maoist yeah. movement, and... Uh, I it... don't think we need... I mean, the, the, the listeners will have heard this all in succession, so really, we're just giving Colin things to edit out. No, okay, well, so we can move on to what we want to talk about, which is, which is not at the same level of seriousness, but this is the back end of the, the episode, so I think we should... So, yeah, let, let us talk about the West Wing. So we did mention, right, that in uh, Renal Chen's right, politic, there was uh, a, a technique that he used of playing the sound of the subsequent scene and the preceding scene, right, as a kind of a, a conjoining effect between the two. And we were like, oh, yeah, and we would notice that in the West Wing episode, The Two Cathedrals. Um, it's very ostentatious there. It's not just Two Cathedrals, it's also, what is it, Noel, the one where Josh... Oh, yeah, exactly, yes, yeah, also in Noel. So, um, and, you know, I was kind of dimly aware that this is like a well-known technique. <laughs> <laughs> a film study scholars the world over roll their eyes. Um, but I found out this week that it comes from Robert Bresson, and um, and in fact, Shen seems to have been m- kind of more directly and heavily influenced by the French New Wave. So that kind of that hand handycam, right? That that kind of handheld camera um, approach to filming comes from, I mean, notably Goddard. Although I don't know whether Goddard was the the inventor of that technique. But um, the 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 second movie that we're talking about in today's episode was particularly French, I thought, yeah. because they just kind of hang out in this apartment. And have we have we established whose apartment it is and why they're it's hanging the, out? So in... it's the divorcee's apartment. Okay. Yeah. And they're uh, hanging out in it. It's it's a it's a refuge um, because he's 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 gonna you know there's some heat because of his involvement or association with right revolutionary with, with revolution. Um, so it's his association with this political leader who has a printing press. This oh, it's a printing press. Yeah, although it's funny because like the 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 guy you know is very left wing and has you know politicking, but in his interaction with the people who work in the printing press, he's seems pretty hierarchical. And yeah, I mean, I, it does seem to be a a satire of uh, or 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 a criticism of, I should say, the uh, the extreme left for being hypocritical. I mean. Shen himself is pretty left-wing, so this is something that I've tried to convey to the students, that, you know, whereas in America, 
you have a kind of a lack of awareness of a left wing and like, you know, the word liberal and democrat and left wing are kind of misused grossly. There's actually a kind of compression of views and a lack of sense of variety and mm. like, different brands of, 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 of the left wing. Whereas actually in West Bengal, especially in the 1970s, completely the opposite is the case. And you have these, you know, enormously fragmented and diverse and at each other's throats um, organizations. Um, well, they have right the longest serving communist. They had, yeah. Although they got totally wiped in the most recent elections, I think they're like uh, I can't remember what percentage of vote they got, but it was pretty small. But there's a lot of kind of Bengali pride at having beaten back the, the the BJP. I was actually just reading a Facebook post today where someone was just like, you know, I have my criticisms of Mom's Manager for sure, and I'm just you know hoping that her third term is is, is better than the other two. But there's no question that. You know, this is a better outcome than you know the uh, the, the the BJP spreading its uh, its hegemony elsewhere. Well, in fact, she's being touted as a, a good model for for pushing back. The, yeah, the, in other states, because yeah. she's a, a regional politician with long, deep connections to her region. Yeah, and you know, has not built her popularity based on prejudice <laughs> <laughs> and differential treatment. Yes. Yes, there, there, there is that. There is that too. So, I mean, I always—it's always this kind of disappointing thing that you know you always hope that people will overcome. All politicians are flawed, right? All politics are flawed, but you always hope that will overcome at these moments. But then, you know, realistically, you're also kind of pessimistic. Right? Yeah. So, so there's this like romantic view of revolution. To, to wit, Tony Blair. <laughs> so there's this romantic view of revolution, which I guess comes from like a Russian. Eastern European kind of, you know, you hide, you skulk around corners with your like slightly decrepit gun and like bunkers. Well, I mean, bunkers is, is over. But, you know, it's like young men out on the street, Molotov cocktails, right? Barricades, things like that. Right. Which is also very French. But what these movies well, do. Well, these, this is a lot more violent. That's another thing I was trying to convey to the students, right? There is a lot of death that occurs. Around, I think we mentioned this in the, in the first half of the podcast, right? Whereas, obviously, that wasn't the case in France, right? right. By comparison. I mean, there were in French colonial contexts, like in Algeria, but not in, in France itself. Whereas this is unusual because it's purely domestic, right? Right. Well, and, and, and as you, as you said, like the, the Noxite movement was suppressed or not suppressed, uh, responded to, met with, right? Extreme violence. But these movies are very chill, right? Even even in when when they're like actual revolutionaries, right? It's it's very quiet, and they're in this white apartment, and there are these scenes of what's going on outside, right? And a lot of like super imposition, yeah. but the revolutionaries themselves, or the the, the protagonists, right? The actors are just kind of sitting around. Well, because. Actually, the focus of the films is not the people involved in the violence, right? I mean, that is, yeah, you're right. It's quite notable that it's the brother, right, in the in the first film, right, in Protodondi. It's the younger brother who's the one who's more involved. And in fact, his criticism, right, and the film's kind of 
amused view of the, the, the protagonist. And remember, like, it's the same protagonist. Right? So it's very funny to see the same actor, Luther Munchalaji, play both parts. But, yeah, he's kind of useless. Um, now, in the second film, right, he's obviously more involved. He's not just a kind of um, an uncertain hipster. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, he's still... He's, he's, he's having a moment of doubt. I mean, the film leads up to this moment of doubt where he writes this letter expressing his doubts... Um, which have come from this period of kind of isolation, right? It's very much about your removal from the heat and the danger and the excitement. And uh, he's in this enforced kind of period of, of, of boredom in a way. Like a lockdown. Like a lockdown. You know? exactly. well, it's why I thought this film was so, you know, good for the, these both films, right? Are good for the moment. But um, yeah, um, the, the, the young man in lockdown has a moment of, of, of reflection or a period of reflection. And he actually writes this letter in a very respectful, open way. But again, because this is a satire of the extreme, and by extreme left, I'm not talking like American versions of the extreme left, right? Which is a phrase only ever used by like Tucker Carlson and referring to people who are, you know, basically really neoliberal. <laughs> um, but yeah, so in, in, in Shen Sat, in Shen satire of, of, of the extreme left, right? This guy responds to this dialogue by basically just totally, um, you know, um, uh, closing down conversation, uh, wanting him to be observed by the, 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 the middleman who's, who's a bit more of a loyalist. Um, so the, the, the intermediary is kind of spying on him as well as looking after. Bisham. Yeah. Bisham. What's his name? Uh, Something like yeah. We're a very professional outfit here. We we take it's been it's been like it feels like it's been a very long time. Um, So yeah, Um, so the films are not actually looking at as their main focus echt violent revolutionaries. So and a lot of the stuff in in Chen's film is conveyed through montage, right? He uses montage more than writers. Again, like it's pretty funny. In fact, there is this this moment where she. She being a chilpy, right? Who, yeah. the, the divorcee whose yeah. house, whose flat. He's she's saying. pitching, right? She works in marketing, and she's pitching a ad for um, like a baby milk, like a formula. Or actually, she's having it pitched for her because she's just standing there silent, and this guy is kind of like ventriloquizing her, which is you know. I mean, Shen like Rai <laughs> is very observant about the workings of the patriarchy. Yeah. But the 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 ad is very like I mean it's old school right so it's not like the stuff you get now but it's something about like you know it's it's very easy you just shake it with water and it's yeah, nutritious like a, a child and, food product yeah, yeah. Like, it's like an Ovaltine or what something and, and they read it out once and you see the the ad prototype. And then the the marketing healthy exec. young children like drinking it yeah and pictures of the the product itself yeah um, and it's very sort of whatever generic formula ad and you see it once kind of in the boardroom and then the the marketing execs kind of talk about it and then it the soundtrack the voiceover sort of plays again but it plays across. Um, these pictures of right emaciated, starving children, and um, 
refugee camps. I don't know what the yeah, I mean, just in Calcutta, I think, yeah. Um, and because we've been talking about how you do get these floods of refugees, yeah. Um, and it's done very smoothly, so that at first you're thinking, wait, like you you kind of you kind of think that that's the real ad, and well, and you're also like, why are they showing the ad again, right? Because the first few scenes are of the ad and then suddenly it shifts yeah and it's it's very kind of disturbing because in the first few seconds like i remember thinking wait did they change the ad is the idea is that these, these children are starving but then they'll get this formula and they'll find like what is happening and then you're just like oh no this is like a so you know it's this interesting <laughs> a montage if, you, if you watch like a rai film and, a, and i appreciate that like at this time like with Dundi rai 2 is going through a more kind of avant-garde phase but like it's so obviously more avant-garde in Shen's case. And you get these kind of biases in the way... I mean, look, you know, we're, we're literary critics, right? We like to see all of the instantiations of genre and set them aside each other and you understand the whole phenomenon better by by, by seeing, right, multiplicity. Yes, but we're, we're, very, of, we're very big on compare and contrast. Yeah, exactly, like with biscuits. But for most people... Right, the reactions are very much. Oh well, this is what I like, and that's what I don't like. Well, and, most people don't see them back to back within. Well, so with my students, the responses were very, very divided. And I was telling them yesterday that it was kind of <laughs> jokingly, it was kind of kind of frustrating because if they were all just unified in their opinion, then the next time I teach the course in the fall, I just won't show that film. But actually, what ended up happening was they were all like varying degrees of positive or negative about a lot of the films leading up to this point. But Rise kind of you know, humanism and classical style in the early phase of his work was actually in the end pretty easy for them to digest. Whereas now, I mean, all of the films are obviously a bit pricklier, including Rai's own, but they actually have very contrasting responses to them, where some of them are like, you know, I didn't like Prutidundi at all, but I really liked, you know, Politic. And the other ones are just like, no, I hated Politic. It was the worst film we've seen the whole semester. I really liked Prutidundi. And then this has actually been a- a- amplified because in, you know, uh, spoiler alert, we'll be looking at some Ritten Kodak to-, to follow soon. But they had exactly the same responses there, where some of them were like, oh, yeah, I mean, this was absolutely the most incomprehensible worst film we've seen in the semester. And others of them were like, oh, this finally felt like a film I actually would volunteer to watch, not one. I love that response in particular, like, as opposed to all the others that I've been compelled to watch by, you know, having to take this course. So, you know, then I'm just like, well, I can't. I, then I should set you these films. Well, because... I mean, I think you should seriously consider not setting. I mean, the problem... As always, and this is something we have we have been talking about a lot, is that digitization actually makes a big oh yeah that's huge um, yeah. issue. I mean, I find Protidandi like like almost entirely inaccessible except in the bits where they speak English because the like you can't physically read the subtitles. Yeah, because it's white on white. Yeah, and then in the other movie, the subtitles are better, but they're so like random. It it you know, and I think there's a a bigger sort of point and a teaching moment about there's teaching moment here about like what about how access is determined right and how the the choices of various formal and informal curators determine what of this material is is accessible or enjoyable right like charlotta looks beautiful yeah and it's really well subtitled yeah and it's a much i mean it is anyway a much easier movie to access yeah but um it is if you've now watched quite a lot of right, it is in some ways atypical of his of his work, right? And so you would be you would be getting a slightly imprecise view of what the corpus is like if you went only for the films that have good mastering and digitization. 
But at the same time, it is the physical right obstacle is difficult to, to overcome. It, it is quite a big ask. I mean, we have this in yeah. classics all the time when we choose text. To you mean te- text in good editions? Yeah, versus... we tend to use text in good editions that have yeah. good resources, but those tend to be particular kind of texts that are very like canonical and they they get worked on again and again, whereas... It's the same issue with translation, right? Yeah. The same texts get translated a million times, but then a lot of really important work doesn't get translated at all. Yeah. Yeah. So there is... um. An issue there that I mean I think is a good teaching moment, but I don't know how much torture your students. Yeah, I, I mean I I don't. I can show them a segment and just you know exemplify it in yeah. two minutes, right? By just showing them. But of course, if you didn't set these movies, they would miss out on um, what's his name, Dr. Um, Chatterjee. Chatterjee, yeah. yeah. He, uh, Who basically might have just stepped off like Soko, yeah, into these movies. And he's a he's a great actor, and he has this like amazingly modern face. Yeah, I really hope we didn't cover this in the first half. I think uh, we alluded to it, yeah. but we said we didn't um, come back to it. As I said, we're a professional outfit, and we deeply and thoroughly prepare for each recording session. Well, I have to. I teach class, so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> professional. Anyway, he, he's quite. Um, he has a very modern face, and because it's it's like. You know, the 60s, the, the, the clothes they wear. Um, well, and there is that really good scene about the clothes, right? Where he is reclothed when he goes when he goes quiet, right? When he's in the flat. They, like, redress him in these very 60s clothes, right? Mm. Or the 70s, right? Yeah. It's early 70s. And so, too, because these are clothes that if you, like, if you went to a thrift shop, you, yeah. you would buy. Like, you, you have a selection of of clothes that were handed down for you from your uncle and your your father which are basically like polyester 70s well yeah um and slightly loose shirts it's very yeah very wide ties like enormous collars um so it's kind of like well you you were saying right it's not just him but then in in protidundi in particular well, actually, in, yeah, in particular, in particular, right, the mise-en-scene is very mid-century modern. Right? Yeah, yeah, there's that, is it a shop that they, they or go to office. or an office? But it, it's just like perfectly mid-century and, and it would take very minimal adaptation to become like a very hip... It looks like a tech architecture yeah, office Yeah, like co working space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, there is something very sort of modernish I mean, I, well, I, I mean which it would be right it's the 60s like we are we are firmly into like even film departments would agree that now we are in 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 modernity right we've hit the 60s like vietnam has happened like we are we are in oh. the in the known world of the here yeah. and now yeah well and also the films are on contemporary subjects right yes. they're not like charlotte or you know or what or whatever so yeah um that 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 has changed so i my students have 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 reflected that sense of modernity in, in in their journal entries as well, right? It does seem closer to them, um, even if obviously aspects of it are very foreign, including like the Nocturne movement. Yeah. So one of the other aspects of that we've kind of we we've learned um, or become more familiar with over the course of of the last few months is that there are these actors who are not Sharon Tagore, right? Um, Shomitsu uh, Chatterjee, who are obviously phenomenal and the most famous, but there are these other actors who are also very famous, but not quite in the same superstar league, who are great. I mean, if anything, 
you know, Unjustifiably, I think. I've I've come to appreciate. We said last time, right, Mother Mukherjee, but but like Dr. Chatterjee is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and Rai said he has a way of kind of looking that keeps the viewer thinking of this person as a a presence, even when this person isn't on screen anymore. Like they they have a way of just being very charismatic. Yeah, he is very very quietly charismatic. Um, he does a lot with his face, even when he's not speaking. Yeah, um, um, and he's he is definitely an independent actor. So uh, he's still alive. So he's he he has chosen to act in these avant-garde films right. that is his milieu right um and you can see why i mean it's he's, just he's good, at it. he's good at it but also he just has the he fits very well within that yeah that milieu so yeah so these are good good discoveries. i mean i do kind of wish we'd watch more of a charmila tabor because i feel like we've seen her in a very juvenile yeah phase. we haven't seen her in her, we haven't even seen her in her 20s I yeah don't think. yeah um so maybe we need to revisit that yeah um we we will um i think we can we can tease this uh we will watch an ashwari ray movie at the end of this season even though it it falls squarely outside the period because we feel we owe it to ashwari yeah to, to to kind of i like that that's been a light it. motif of this yeah, yeah. No, that, that 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 is the um, end that we all we all deserve, that we all deserve. <laughs> um but i i don't i mean at some point, we do have to wrap up the season. Otherwise, we will be here for, for infinity. But, but you know. Well, are... I mean, we only have... Well, so we've got some Rhythm Codic to end. And then that. And I think that will be... That will then be we it. want to watch that movie where Apu plays a villain. Oh, uh, yeah, we could do. Yeah, that would be good. Um, Is Charmilla in it? No, I don't think so. No. I should also point out it's the centenary of Rai's birth. That, that happened just a few days ago. I think it was April 29th or something like that. Oh, or, no, no, May 2nd. It was actually the day of the election. It was the day of the election. So, the election or May first. Uh, I think the centenary then was a day off or something. It was the right. day of the no, it was the day of the counting. Sorry, it was oh. the day of the counting of the votes. So you make that sound as if the counting of the votes was this like big thing, whereas in fact I think they finished counting most of the votes. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know it's a. Sorry. I state mean, it's a it's a sleepy and, like yeah. May off year. Well, on the other hand, who knows now? I mean, That's you know, true. circumstances are, are unusual. So, um, so Ryan Shen. Um, this is the other thing that I want to say is um, it, it, it's well known that they, despite the fact that they kind of respected each other, that there were moments of kind of caustic criticism, <laughs> and um, Ryan in particular had some public criticisms, especially of well, one of Shen's most famous early works, which was in Hindi. Ryan, of course, didn't really work in Hindi, but um, Shen uh, had a film which. It was a. It was about basically about a civil servant who's really uptight, uh, who who learns to be less uptight, and uh, um, Rai criticised that film. And then much later on, I think there was a kind of a, a a revealing of certain private letters in which Rai was like much kind of you know in the way that in a private letter you'll be critical without regard to someone's feelings. Um, they were they were a little caustic and kind of dismiss. Shen's overall style. Shen, in turn, I mean, he had a, a, a big autobiography called Montage, and he uh, he was kind of casually dismissing right. I mean, he's very respectful about right in general, but he was just like, yeah, but he basically only had one good decade, and he didn't really. He kind of ossified after that, or didn't really develop, you know, well after that in terms of maintaining the same the same level. I mean, that decade obviously being the bit that includes Potter Pachali, right? 
Charlotte, but not so much the later work. And, you know, you can kind of see, and again, I'm not getting into the, you know, is there real decline or whatever, but like, you can see that in some ways, as the, you know, the modern cinema tends to the more avant-garde, even if you find Shen style less, less smooth, and it deliberately is less smooth, that it might be more suited to, like, his avant-garde style and his politics might be in harmony in a way that Rise might not. But Rise also trying to do something a little bit different. Yeah. So you have this, I mean, what I think of as a, you know, as we call it in the in the biz, a productive tension <laughs> between the two. But, um, yeah, I think for most other people, it's very much like, you know, Federer versus Nadal or whatever. Um, Federer. We're Team Federer. Team Federer all the way, yeah. I'm like Team Federer... Team Zidane, you know. No. Yeah. Zidane. Yeah. Even after the headbutt? I mean, you know, people have imperfections. But I've never seen anyone manipulate a football, with the possible exception of Maradona, I guess. Uh, Talking of imperfections. (laughs) Um, Quite like Zidane. I mean, I've seen, you know, Messi and Ronaldo, and their accomplishments are all, you know, great and everything. But, like, it does not get the pulse racing like watching Zidane with the football. So, same goes for Federer, like, you know, I'm not dissing, like, Djokovic and Nadal, I mean, obviously, but if I only could watch one person hit a tennis ball, it would be Roger Federer. Federer has an appreciation of, of plot and narrative in a tennis match that Nadal and Djokovic just don't have. David Foster Wallace wasn't going to write about Nadal and Djokovic, let's face it. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Anyway. After that brief diversion into sport. Uh, maybe this... I mean, Otherwise, I'll start going on about the European Super League, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know that our listeners another rant no, no. about the evils of American oh, owners. No, maybe this is a good. Do we have more to contribute to about uh, these two films? Yeah, um, I think we can call it a day. Okay, uh, then you know maybe we should wrap up this slightly more meandering than usual. I mean, that's for us. That's, like, pretty meandering. Well, you know, it's the end of term. It's and... like the river meandering. <laughs> oh, come on. That was a good gag. <laughs> Gags the word. Um, anyway, yeah. So uh, so we'll wrap up. And then what are we watching next week? Uh, two Rhythmic Kodak movies. Oh, I don't know. Tita Shekti Nam, A River Called Titash and... Uh, Which is, like... His famousest. Uh, I think Megadagatara or that. Yeah, uh, his candidates for his most famous. And then his last film, which is... Megadagatara has surprisingly leapt in the in the ratings. It's behind uh, The Music Room, which is a kind of unexpected dark horse. So it's yeah. like Davey, like yeah. squarely. Way, way ahead. And then The Music Room, which yeah. I, I wasn't expecting. And and then Megadagatara. Oh, okay. And Charolata languishes... At the bottom, I think partially it's because we haven't advertised it enough. I'm, I'm sure that that that's it. That but I'm, I'm offended on its behalf. I know it's the best one. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then it's Jukti Thorkor Golpa, which is reason, debate, and story, which is his his last one. So that that's what we will conclude with before the Ashwara right? And the villain. The, and the uh, yeah. Uh, the villainous Apu. The villainous Apu. Yeah. <laughs> I like the villain software. I think that might be when you handle the villain for, for the software will be when you handle for everything. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That should have been your Twitter handle. But you, uh, yeah, missed, missed that. Thing. Oh well. Maybe someone's gonna nab it now. Maybe Theo should have. 
Theo would be a great the villainous opera. Yeah. Yeah. He is a bit villainous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, on that note, we... Signing off from sign- the villainous opera mm-hmm. and... <laughs> and company. We will uh, be back next week with more of this, whatever, whatever this is. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? We will let the critics decide. Yes. Bye! Bye!